Thank you for tuning into Black and Well Voices, a space where we invite Black identities to share their thoughts, experiences, and endeavors that'll push the collective forward. So my name is Azalea. I am the founder of Black and Well. And today you will actually be listening to a conversation between a Black and Well contributor, Olivia Grant, alongside Natasha Marin, who is the curator of Black Imagination. Now, this is a book that is very sacred and it really explores the possibilities of what it means to be Black, happy, healthy, and whole. Uh, This conversation was actually recorded in April. We did have a couple technical difficulties, um, but when I listen back to it, it actually makes a lot of sense for this to actually come out now. It actually feels like divine timing. Um, And I think that uh, as a collective, we will all be able to appreciate this and move forward and just kind of like retain some of this idea and this imagination of what the Black experience has the possibilities to be like in this world. Uh, So thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy and be well. So what is Black Imagination about and what sparked the idea to curate this book? Black imagination. You know, it's interesting because I ask myself sort of what is Black imagination every day because it's still Mm -hmm. revealing itself to me. I feel like it's easier to define if you look at um, what it's not. And and Black imagination is not a regurgitation of everything you've already seen um, because that exists mostly in the white imagination. You know, when you think about what we consume on a daily basis, whether it's aesthetically or uh, socially or even culturally, like a lot of this is being packaged and told to us as this is what is a value. This is what tradition is. This is what history is. This is what beauty is. But that's not really fully accurate. You know, that's that's usually one set of folks' ideas about those things. And so for me, this project started as a response to being like adrenally exhausted, like just tired in the way that I feel like black women especially can understand and relate to yeah, just bone soul tired. And I got that tired because I did this project called reparations. Um, It was a social experiment in the summer of 2016 where I invited folks, um, all different kinds of people, all backgrounds to participate in sort of a, kinesthetic challenge to leverage your privilege. Right. So we, we know privilege is intersectional and, you know, it, it doesn't sort of adhere to neat and tidy boxes. You know, right, you, exactly. you can have privilege from within, uh, you know, a gay disabled body, for example. Right. Yeah. Um, so I had asked folks who identify as people of color to make requests for what they need in the immediate sense, um, services, time, energy, money, whatever it is that they need. And I asked white identified folks to 
uh, make offerings and respond to these requests. And this was a social experiment. We thought life was as bad as it could get in 2016. Ha ha. Fortal. Yes. Um, little did we know how intense things could get. Um, but I had just opened myself like a, like a human portal to just racial inequity worldwide because the project went viral you know, within days, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world were participating in this project. And it was to the point where, I mean, Olivia, if you're getting emails that are like, yeah, so my partner died yesterday and I'm going to get evicted. We have three kids. Like, how much do you justify going to sleep if that's the email you get right right before you go to sleep? If there's just like, if you could just do like 20 minutes more of work, and maybe help this person out, are you going to go to sleep? So what that did to just my wellness, (laughs) you know, my work-life balance, is it just ravaged it. Um, it Turns out I'm not really good at looking out for myself when I feel like I could do something uh, more for other people who I deem sort of more in need, who have more need. Right. But uh, that was a really long way of learning viscerally that that's, that's also a lie. That's, that's a program that's been put inside of me. You know, yep. women are socialized to be nurturers and black women especially have to handle all the things all the time. Um, and it turns out that you can't really show up for other people the way you want to show up for them if you are depleted. So, and it wasn't like these thoughts came to me neatly and tidily (laughs) the way they're coming across now. Um, I had to, you know, kind of hit rock bottom in terms of work-life balance um, before I realized, wow, I really don't like the kind of crusty, bitter person I'm becoming. Um, So uh, Black Imagination was me deciding that I needed reparations for reparations the project right um, right <laughs> I, had, I had to put i had to put something back into the well that i had already emptied and i decided to spend a year like only reading the work of um, black women and only consuming black media and listening to black music and talking to black people and collecting stories with black women um from other black folks all over the place and that's how Black Imagination, the book, came to be. But the book is like, when I call it a book, I feel like I'm, like, lying a little bit. Like, it has pages. It has, like, a, you know, a spine, et cetera. But yeah. this was the fourth iteration of sort of a deep dive into this, this project. Before this book came three exhibitions, um, And the first exhibition was called Black Imagination, the States of Matter. And it took place in January of 2018. Is that right? I believe so. I could be making that up. Maybe it was 2019, but I feel like it was 2018. God, I'm old. Um, (laughs) 2018 here in Seattle at the Core Gallery um, in Pioneer Square. And folks would sign up to come to this exhibition and they, um, they paid depending on their identity. So black people were always free. Um, non-black identified people of color paid $5 and white identified people paid $20. And you would have a 
sort of um, an escorted sort of viewing, quote unquote, of the exhibition for like a half an hour session. Right. So you'd come to this art gallery expecting to look at things on the wall and what happened to you, because I'm a conceptual artist um, that happened to write a book, uh, is <laughs> you would come into a pitch black space, couldn't see your hand in front of your face, um, and you were then blindfolded. And then a, uh, our docent, Ayanna Hobbs, uh, nationally uh, recorded vocal, vocal artist, amazing, amazing singer. Uh, she happens to be blind. She would lead you through this pitch black darkness, through what it felt like, like a web of voices responding to these prompts, like um, what is your origin story? How do you heal yourself? Or describe or imagine a world where you're loved, safe, and valued. And she would sing you through this, this space. In this space uh -huh. were high quality sound recordings, but also black people, maybe what? playing instruments, maybe doing call and response. So for, for a person like me, whose experience of Seattle has been uh, being one of few black people in Seattle, this is a space, I was creating a space where you weren't one of few black people, where you could be with like a lot of black people yeah. metaphysically in this space, right? Yeah. So I had three exhibitions like that, not exactly like that at all, because they were all very different before this book came out. So this book to me feels like an exhibition that takes place in book form. Wow. Now that, that is better than a book to me. <laughs> you know, especially hearing this, hearing the backstory and just seeing how, how it came to, to, how you came to that realization. Um, that's, that's amazing. And it's amazing to be able to do that. And I love how, you know, you took your previous experience and immersed yourself in blackness um, to birth this, you know? Um, awesome. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, had a, I had a great time doing it. And I think I wouldn't have launched this project with the sort of energetic ferocity and like dedication to to the work if if i hadn't had folks in my corner willing to do it with me right. you know um there's something really magical that happens when black women who already have too much to do decide to do things together that are not yep. necessary like rent or um car payments you know child care kind of thing quote unquote necessary because to me this is necessary that's kind of part of what i discovered along the path is that feeding your blackness as a black person, feeding yourself good images of black people who look like you, happy and living fulfilled lives, hearing your, your own pain validated um, is, I don't know, it's, it helps us to heal and grow and feel less dismissed and invalidated by like everything around us all the time. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm just here like nodding my head like, yes, because there's, there's something to be said for, you know, having the freedom to just be. And I feel like for a lot of black women, whether it's subconscious or not, you, you're constantly living up to or trying to fulfill certain expectations or trying to fulfill what's deemed as necessary and anything extra, you kind of feel a bit guilty for. Mm, you know so guilty so, 
yeah like when when these phrases are created that's kind of saying you know it's not only okay for you to simply be and really dive into yourself but it's absolutely necessary because we haven't been told that mm-hmm. so yeah. i i love that my next question which i feel like you kind of dived into this but i've got here what can readers expect from this book Well, you know what? I could never say it better than the people who blurbed this book. Um, As as a quote unquote writer, and I'm keeping it in quotes because I, again, (laughs) I feel I have a sense of imposter syndrome about identifying as a writer because my practice is um, conceptual art. And that means that I cover a lot of territory. Writing is one of those territories, but my medium is really people. You know, I work with people to bring about sort of like large scale engagement that usually reiterates um, the sort of sacredness of creativity and togetherness um, and collaboration. That's kind of like my thing. So having a book that's, you know, well received makes people think I'm a writer. Right. But I don't know. I don't know that I would call myself that. And I think people who know me well, know that I, I hesitate um, before calling myself a writer, but the, the legitimate writers out there who blurbed this book, whew, let me tell you what a writer can do <laughs> that I can't do, okay? Like, um, so Keith Lehman, who is the author of Heavy, said, Black imagination is somehow as innovatively utopic as it is sincerely soulful. I've never felt the physical feeling of pages melting in my hands or chapters folding themselves into squadrons of black airplanes flying to freedom because I've never experienced an art object like black imagination. It's exquisite art in action. So like, no, I can't say it better than that. I'm sorry. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> I really can't. I can't, I could try, but it'd be like, I make good stuff. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> when I work really hard and I'm, my joy is in it. I mean, genuinely, um, who else's blurb could I read you that's just like stunningly, like it makes you think back to yourself, like did I actually, did I have anything to do with anything this amazing? <laughs> um, Samantha Thornhill, who's the author of A Card from My Father says, Moving, nuanced, and realer than real, Black imagination is a necessary archive for these times. This unique project asks Black people to respond to three simple yet profound questions about one's origin, self-healing rituals, and um, alternate world visions in which Black people feel safe and are valued. The rawness of these pages, along with um, a versatility of voice and vision, makes for an immersive read that galvanizes the imagination and massages the heart. So, I mean, I can't say it better than the blurbs, which folks can find if they Google Black Imagination, uh, Black Voices on Black Futures, uh, which is out from McSweeney's as of February of 2020, which people will recall was the last moment anything seemed somewhat normal (laughs) in 2020. (laughs) And somewhat normal is a reach because... It's been a journey. (laughs) How are things in how are things in your neck of the woods? How are how are you healing yourself? Well, so I'm I'm I I live in in London, UK, but I'm currently in Charleston, South Carolina. Hmm. Um, My fiance lives out here, so um, I've been out here since 
for about a month now actually um will be until I guess all of this is <laughs> yeah you know fixed up but um yeah it's been it's been interesting um I don't know I feel like the whole world is in a very strange place at the moment um so I've kind of been navigating through a lot of which I think a lot of people have a lot of uncertainty um and you know not being able to necessarily plan or you know I don't know sometimes you can think far ahead and and, you know you've you've got plans for the future and you kind of know the direction that you're going to be going in at at the moment I'm like I literally don't know what's happening but I'm (laughs) I'm learning to become become okay with that and learning to just kind of trust myself I'm, I'm always talking about trusting yourself and, and listening to your intuition and healing and it's like now that's I'm having to really really put that into practice and so I'm kind of leaning into this uncertainty and learning to just breathe through it you know yeah <laughs> so um yeah it's 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 interesting but um and, and how how has has this this quarantine life so to speak how's how's it been for you (laughs) I feel like it's interesting how we have this opportunity now to see ourselves again but differently right so yeah we can start off it's it's almost like you're dating yourself you know oh yeah like you want to start off believing things about yourself that may not be true this may start at the grocery store right you're like I'm gonna be stuck in my house I'm gonna eat quinoa salads turns out you're not gonna eat quinoa salads turns out you're gonna eat Cheetos by the bag you know like it's it's just like an opportunity for self-discovery and in in sort of dating ourselves we have to come to terms with like what we can accept and what we can't accept and if there are things we can't accept about ourselves this is a great this is a great time to, to change, you know? I would like to believe that I'm a person who takes walks every day. Guess what? Right. I'm not. But um, I might be. That, that still might be me. I just need to, yeah. the part of me that wants to believe that's me and the part of me that is unwilling to actually get up and put clothes on, um, you know, that gap has to close. And if it does, I will be a new person. Because I think it's really powerful to realize that we can change ourselves, but only yeah. we can change ourselves. So it's not like everyone else's, you know, stank, salty opinion about you and how you live your life and how often you should have showered this week that matters. It doesn't. Right. That doesn't matter. It, what really matters is like, how do you feel about yourself today? You know, did you do what you needed to do to feel productive? And um, this project uh, has me thinking about other people's survival strategies just in general, more often, right? right? Because I have responses to how do you heal yourself floating around in my head from black children, from incarcerated black women, from trans black folks. And I, and I think to myself, like, we are all in this together. We're all trying to survive together, even apart. That's, that's the goal is to make it to the next goalpost. And the way to get through being stuck with yourself is hopefully to learn to love some things about yourself and the things that you don't love about yourself, change them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think a lot of the time, what's what's important about it is sometimes it's just simply the acknowledgement. Sometimes we're running away from certain parts of ourselves or, you know, the realizations that we're not what we kind of thought we were. And just the acknowledgement that, okay, this is what it is, but that's okay. And like you said, I can change. You know, there's always room to change. 
and I think we're definitely in a time in which um, a lot of us are going to be coming to terms with with a lot of stuff that we've been avoiding Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's going to be a beautiful healing process I think so too Um, my next question for you is in what way do you believe blackness is intertwined with whiteness and how do black people separate in healthy ways to see the possibilities for the future of black culture that might be a long question I can break it up (laughs) no I I like it I like I'm just gonna chew on it for a second okay blackness whiteness how are these connected let's start there um I think and this is obviously me speaking for myself, from myself, the way we all do all the time. But as Black people, people like to believe that what we're saying while being Black people stands for like all Black people. And I'm just giving the caveat that this is what I think and everyone else is entitled to think whatever the heck they want to think. Um, I think there are people, there are people, there are human people. And the human people that evolved on this planet um, were black first. And those people, the first people, the most people people, the planet before the black people, um, did not have to call themselves black. They were just people. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> there, there are other people, um, new people, actually, kind of the newest people on the block. Um, and those people like to think of themselves as white people. Because those people think of themselves as white people, they also like to think of other people as black people. And that's how they separate themselves from the people, (laughs) the capital B people. Okay. Um, And this is all because they have this delusion, um, this fantasy of their own superiority, which is not at all upheld by anything in reality. Like if you have eyes, you can just open them and see. I'm still waiting to see where the supremacy is please and thank you because the only trick i've seen them figure out is divide and conquer and i mean i have to admit it's a it's a shiny trick <laughs> it's a shiny <laughs> one if you only have one trick you can sure play that one like left right and center but to me um blackness as a as a term has always been connected to whiteness because without whiteness and its delusions of grandeur, blackness would not need to even be codified because blackness is humanness and humanness is blackness. Right. But that's only part one of your question. There was another part and that was the part (laughs) that I remembered. So. That's okay. So the second part, Fabulous and very thought-provoking answer, by the way. Very thought-provoking. I've never, you know, in, in these kind of conversations, I've never had that kind of, I don't know, you've, you've put it in a very, as I said, thought-provoking way, that it does make you think. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, no, no problem. So the second part of the question is, how do Black people separate in healthy ways to see the possibilities for the future of black culture? Mm. Well, I don't know that we can separate ourselves from whiteness. This is the, the strange, ironic Schrodinger's cat moment, okay? Because if, if we would be people, if it weren't for white people, if we would just be <laughs> people, right? There's, there's this sort of chicken egg relationship. 
Like, would you have blackness if it weren't for the whiteness calling the blackness black? Right. Right. So in my experience as a black person, blackness has always contained whiteness, which it does because of its actual primacy as actual humanness. Right. Like, white people in in a very white identified people because what is white people that's a whole nother side right. of conversation yeah but like yeah <laughs> what people who are who still like to think of themselves as white people despite all the evidence to the contrary um those folks um i don't know if they're willing to join the the big human team because of the repercussions of what that would mean you know, you don't get to be superior if you're connected to everybody else, if we're all a big human family. Um, but, but blackness, in my experience, has always contained understandings of and, and actual genetic whiteness. Like if you're, for all intents and purposes, a white identified person, you're like my son. Do you know what I mean? Like right. my blackness is so much older than your whiteness. Like have a little respect. Right. You know what I mean? So right. yes, just because yes. you got so pale, you forgot who you are, doesn't really mean anything. You know, like a grandchild right. who's disrespectful doesn't invalidate the grandparents' knowledge or experience. It's impossible to, you know. Right. So and also black people are very versed in whiteness. It's not that because we're black, we don't understand whiteness. Um, are you kidding? There could be a competition like who's the whitest black person and there'd be so many competitors you know what I mean like mm, yeah in terms of white acting or quote-unquote whiteness whatever this sort of like the spirit of upholding white supremacy is that sort of exists yeah. in superposition in all bodies right so I think what we need to do is really try to to uproot and identify what inside of us isn't ours like is, is that whiteness, is that, is the voice inside of you giving you a really hard time because you were five minutes late to a meeting? Is that voice your voice? Is that your ancestral motherland voice? Or is that a voice that's been imposed to you through white supremacy? And that could have come from your parents, you know? Are, right. are, are you worth right. more than what you can produce? Oh, really? Well, then show me. Is, is your rest and your wellness, is your dream time as, as important as everyone else's? Um, then show me. And I think centering ourselves, just decentering whiteness is step one. But centering ourselves is like a really crucial step two. What does it look like when you center your own wellness in your life? And for a lot of us, that's a really radical act. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I really love what you said about you know, are, are certain thoughts and I, I guess ideals yours, you know, and I, I've spoken a lot to, to a lot of people about things such as generational trauma, um, you know, things that are brought down from our parents and our grandparents, but I've never really, you know, consciously connected it to white supremacy and how that's where a lot of these things have, have stemmed from, you know, and that is a very powerful way of dissecting you know what it is that's going on inside of you mm -hmm. yeah um yeah no you were gonna say something i'm sorry we're just like umming <laughs> together <laughs> no no I'm, I'm i'm absolutely loving this <laughs> okay so my next question for you 
How has uncovering layers of self and focusing back inward to heal and be introspective helps you grow and feel fulfilled? Yeah, so I'm not really good at introspection because it's usually done by yourself. Okay. And all these solo activities that we get to practice now that we're in like forever quarantine during the slow apocalypse together. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, I'm discovering a lot about myself. Um, and one of those things is, yeah, that whole, like just you and the voices in your head thing. That's not a look for me. I do much better when I can bounce ideas and thoughts off of other people. So in the way that I talked about sort of like people being my medium, it's because like, I don't even private things like thinking to yourself I don't do by myself I do with other people best right right so um I think the way I'm I'm healing is really by hearing these stories is hearing these and these stories are like they're stories but they're also like testimonies okay to like how we are currently existing right now today You know, if you sat down and you took your time, Olivia, and you wrote me um, your 12 best strategies for surviving this quarantine and just the isolation and every aspect of our lives that has had to change, I can I can incorporate that into sort of the repertoire of me. I don't have to take it all wholeheartedly, but maybe you do one thing that I can actually do for myself. You know, in this way, crowdsourcing this information, this kind of sharing, that's, that's really what's keeping me sort of energetic and alive and excited about living my life right now is that I know that we are together in this experience. And that, that always makes something more exciting and sparkly for me. Like I saw, I saw a video yesterday on the internet Um, uh, it was individuals dancing in their living room and these were clearly dancers. Okay. Like these aren't, I mean, I don't know what you look like on the dance floor, but it wasn't like me dancing in my living room. Okay. These were, these were dancers, proper dancers, each one dancing in their living room. And it was cut, um, so that like at the end of one dance gesture, another person's dance gesture would pick up at that point. So that was the editing. Okay, so it starts with just like, you know, one person, and then it's two people. And then maybe you go back to the first person, then you go back to the second person, then it's a third person. And the choreography is beautiful. And you're beginning to recognize, this is choreography, each one of these different people is doing this same choreography, and you get to like eight or nine people. And then it cuts to like the stage where this was done as a performance as an ensemble piece. And I'm telling you, Olivia, it was the most it was one of the most beautiful things to witness because humans, if given the chance, we will be the most beautiful and stunning species, you know, and we don't yeah. do it all the time. And we are very strangely motivated, you know, like who knows what brought about this like sliver of perfection. But like at that moment, we were being the best we could be as a species. Right. Okay. Like in that moment, <laughs> it was like, Everyone needs to see this. Like, look what we can do when we um, work together. And it was, it was truly stunning. And I'm sure there'll be lots and lots of things like that that happen. But um, nobody got paid. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was, right, this wasn't right. about money. This wasn't about success. This wasn't even about going viral. I think, I think, honestly, the people involved in that video were probably saving themselves as well. 
you know, right. like, yeah, I'm going to learn this choreography. Yeah, I'm going to do videotape myself. I'm going to do this with my dance friends. And who cares if anybody ever sees or cares about it? I'm having fun. You know, and in this way, I think that like making the time to listen to each other right now, to hear our stories, making room to be validated um, and making space to think about our own healing is great. This is actually a really amazing opportunity. It privately occurred to me that black people everywhere um, have a chance to rest just, just, just a bit. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. So on healing and wellness within the black community, what do you believe needs to happen to see a constant progression individually and collectively? Oof, I don't know. I mean, I think <laughs> so how I pay my bills is I am like an anti-racism and a marketing consultant. And a lot of, a lot of money comes my way because I have these intersectional identities, identifiers that maybe the mainstream doesn't have access to. Right. So I could take my handy dandy black lady parts, you know what I mean? And, and <laughs> translate that into like, how do you talk to people with, um, similar life experiences, right? Um, right. And marketing is, is kind of like usually like soulless territory, but marketing is like quarantine in that it shows us ourselves. It shows us how, how our little brains work. And I got to tell you, I think it's a marketing campaign, Olivia. I think we need to see ourselves happy. We need to see ourselves yes. healthy. And I, I'm not talking the big smile, chortling happiness. I'm talking about joy, like something that's in your belly that, that isn't flighty and fleeting, you know, that can last for yeah. a whole beat, you know, like, a, like a, when you're full from a good meal, like you have that for a yeah. moment. Um, we need to be able to see that. And right now what we see when we see ourselves reflected back through the media, it's usually just trauma porn. Yep. So we, yep. we also have to be content creators. You know, we have to make work that we want to see that uplifts us. And um, one of the projects I've been doing during this quarantine is called Soul TV, S-O-L-T-V. It's a group on Facebook. But the whole premise of this group, because this is a social media experiment for a month, like I do, is that we create content for community care. So instead of just dancing in your living room with your kids because you're um, bored and you're sharing it with your network. You actually are doing this for the benefit of the community. You're now you're being silly right. for everyone else. You're actually adding value with your silliness, right. you know, because um, that might give somebody else permission to fool around with their kids and dance in the living room. And it's not about perfection. Right. And it's also about like seeing bodies that look like ours you know, um, making content that we want to see. So I have a friend, his name is Ricardo. He is doing like quarantine palette training videos. And this is like the funniest genre that I've ever seen. It's like um, getting apocalypse ready. So it's like as a kid, you know, some of us remember going to the fridge and there was nothing in the fridge, but like ketchup and mustard. And we're going to make a ketchup and mustard sandwich because we need to be ready yeah. you know for all right. the things and it's right. just like so somber like you know when you're you're hitting that beautiful comedic harmony where you're deadpan like you're not giving it the yuck yuck 
it's just hilarious yeah. because it's true. And it's also hilarious yeah. because it's sad, you know, at the same time, yeah. you know, uh, that kind of those little gems. I, I love it. Like people reading from their favorite books, people singing, people dancing because they had too much caffeine. Um, and there's folks from all over the world creating content for this. And I just started this a couple weeks ago. Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's lots of ways for us to pool our energy um, and make make this whole life experience just better <laughs> for ourselves and for each other. But yeah, Black Imagination yeah. is my little way of doing that because the fun part for me was the validation that comes with like the realm of the book, which again is still, you know, a derivative of white supremacy and all this stuff. Like write it down culture yeah. is very much white supremacy culture. Like, is it real? Is it in a book? Is it verified knowledge? But that kind of validation um, for say like a, a young black child, <laughs> you know, who has submitted to this project is really exciting to see, you know, maybe you're a single black mom and, and no one's ever thought of publishing what you're saying before as like archival, important resource filled information. You know, so I, I like the fact that we're all together. Like once again, the experience of the book isn't uh, a solo project, you know, it isn't just like the me show, but it's actually like about what happens when, when black people work together and yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I just love the message of us taking control of our narrative. And I agree that's that's what kind of needs to be out there, you know, examples of of us taking control of our narrative and you know just more seeing more of ourselves in states of joy yeah, you know exactly so absolutely okay so i'm gonna got just got a few more questions for you before you wrap up um what are your favorite pieces in the collection? Oh, wow. I, I definitely, I definitely <laughs> can't say I have favorites because like everything is my favorite. I toiled over, you know, choosing and selecting these. I wanted to represent as many different kinds of black folks as possible because we're always yeah. cast with such, I don't know, a narrow, everyone thinks they understand what blackness is you know but even black people yeah. are like we contain multitudes like there's so much going on inside of humanness which is what blackness is you know so i just wanted yeah. to show all the different sides of that so i'm actually just gonna like kind of open it random here and i'll just read some stuff to you yeah um so i flipped open to this section that is um what is this section? I think this is the healing section. Yes, the healing section, which begins with a quote from Nell Painter, who's actually the author of The History of White People, an amazing book, if you haven't read that, Nell Painter. And Nell says, I don't need to heal myself because I'm not wounded. And that's the section break for that. And then this piece by Carlos Seurat, who's in Charleston, Mississippi in the United States, um, I don't know. It really, I love it because I feel like I could also, like, I have felt these words. Carlos writes, right. remember to run if you need to remember the dawn and stew and buildings and by our gods, keep record. Remember shape 
Remember to forget your shape. Remember the hills wet with dew. Remember the hills wet with blood. Remember to leave the city. And in terms of healing, like for me, it's been an amazing, sustaining healing feature in my life to get the beep out of Dodge, just like get on a plane and go, which is part of why this is like an extra painful time for me. Um, Because I actually had just come back from Tanzania when Seattle went into lockdown. So if you can imagine being in like, I'm not even that religious of a person, but like Tanzania is like God's land. Like, right. I, I love the people out there like, oh, I don't want to go to Africa. Africa, ew, da, 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 good, stay home. Because for those, right. for those of us who actually go there, let me tell you, being from the Caribbean, like I am from paradise, okay? So being in the country right. of paradise, not the little island of paradise, but like a whole country of paradise, with unbothered, gorgeous, chiseled, cheekboned Africans everywhere holding me with love in community as though I absolutely belonged. Going from that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> to this progressive white liberal nonsense. Woo, woo. It's, I mean, even the way you just described that, I'm just like, whew, because I, I, I've never been anywhere in Africa. and. This year, I had plans to, and it's been like, oh my god, how am I, like how am I going to make it happen now? Which I'm still determined to at some point. I don't know later on in the year, but I do have this thing about, you know, a part of me just feels like. I mean, I I grew up in London all my life, and I've always, especially in in you know, the most recent years of my adult life, I've I feel a sense of not belonging there, and I just have this desire to be where black people mm. are the default you know sometimes sometimes you feel like you're not necessarily affected by white supremacy or by racism or you know i don't know there, there's different levels to it but you can you know being london for example is a place where you know it's very multicultural mm-hmm. but racism is very subtle it's an undercurrent there so you almost think it's not happening yeah. kind of thing and you don't realize that you are walking around with some form of tension whether you realize it or not and yeah I've just had this desire to be be in a place where black people are the default and you know how you how you've explained (laughs) Africa is just like you're gonna have the most glorious time so this was my my third trip to Africa and I want to tell you that like we all we as two black women talking to each other we know that Africa is a continent we know describing things as African right. is like describing the Western hemisphere. Look, we know this. Oh, we, we understand this. And I want to also say, even though we understand this, that I've been to Africa three times and I've been to different Africas each time. And then I suspect that every time I go to Africa, I will be going to a new, that it will be my first trip to Africa, if this makes sense. So the first time I went to Africa, I went to Morocco. I got a $50 round trip ticket, five zero. Yes, I am a witch. I took my sister with me for my birthday. 50, it was obviously a mistake fair. Someone got fired for that. But before they got fired, I got two tickets for $50 each to Morocco. First time in a Muslim country. Amazing. Like I, there, there aren't words to describe what that was but I will just say amazing 
but most people will wow. tell you like, oh, you were in Morocco, you weren't in Africa kind of thing, which is another layer of nuance. Like you just have to go to understand like what the heck people are even talking yeah. about. So North Africa was right. step one, which is definitely the like gateway drug. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that'll suck you in real quick. And it did. Um, I then went, uh, I had a $150 round trip ticket again, because sometimes the universe just decides you're going, you're going, here's how, how right. we know. So $150 round trip from Seattle to uh, Abidjan and the Ivory Coast. So I went North Africa, I went West Africa. Amazing time. I highly recommend speaking French if you go to a Francophone African country. Um, I, being Canadian, thought that, oh, those years of French that I had growing up, that'll cover me. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I don't know what nonsense we learn in Canada if it's calling itself French, but it doesn't help you (laughs) at all when you get to um, a Francophone African country. But had a fantastic, amazing, transcendent time there as well. So Tanzania, East Africa was third stop, and we already know where the fourth trip will be, right? Where am I going next? Somewhere in Southern Africa, because we got to hit the four cardinal directions, right? North, west, right, east. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, south, right. and then I'll fill in the middle. <laughs> That's the plan. But like, I, I love it. I love being able to see for myself with my own eyes that so much of what we've been told is just utter and complete, part of my French bullshit, just completely made up. I mean, people are living their best unbothered black lives. You've never seen black men with a gait like you've seen in Africa, shoulders loose. You think black men normally have a sexy walk? Let me tell you something, okay? That oppression walk is still sexy, but the lack of oppression walk is so much more exponentially sexy and it's coming from everywhere (laughs) i'm telling you like everyone has a bit of freedom around them like a little aura you know that that just it it just is spectacular to behold and i mean tanzania is remarkably beautiful next time you're sad just go to google images and put in like beaches in zanzibar okay and just and just I'm know, just know that that, that is, that is the Africa that they told you to avoid. That's, that's what they were trying to keep you from. Are you kidding me? No. Awesome. 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 Like that has really killed <laughs> me now. <laughs> okay. So what is one thing you hope people will walk away with after reading your book? Um, I hope it's a book that people go back to. I want it to be more alive than dead. You know, this is definitely a book you don't have to read in any particular order. Um, You certainly can. Like, there is an experience of reading it in order. But you can go to it. Like, it can be incorporated into your life as part of a lifestyle. You know, like, I'm not feeling happy. Let me get some advice from these Black people that are alive that live in this book. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like... Right, it's, right. it's really nice to like know that these are real folks so, like everybody in this book everyone's voice is a contemporary voice these are people who are alive right now who are struggling through the same things that we're struggling through 
that are, you know, in Germany, in New Zealand, they're in Chicago, they're everywhere, you know, and I am continuing the project like folks can still submit because I think that um, there will be further books. Um, I think there will be many more iterations of Black Imagination, like next year, hopefully, if everything, you know, clears up as we're hoping it does. Next year at the Northwest African American Museum here in Seattle, there'll be um, the fourth Black Imagination exhibit and it's called Black Imagination Sites of Power. And um, the idea, the conceptual idea behind this, this version of Black Imagination is that you can literally go into this space and become more exponentially powerful in it. Like, right. yeah, you get upgraded. <laughs> you get to feel upgraded, <laughs> yeah, in terms of power and agency, yeah, so. Wonderful. Okay, well, I've got one last question for you before we wrap up, which is where can we find you? Um, you can find me uh, black-imagination.com. Uh, you can find me. I'm very, very boring on Instagram, but <laughs> I'm at Tashi Ko, which is T-A-S-H, the number one, K, the number zero. <laughs> Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, I'm going to let you head off, Natasha. It has been delightful. Mm-hmm.